Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Well met fellow adventurers, I've gone and visited another of those player-owned taverns. It turns out the egg wasn't quite ready yet, but I think it will be ready tomorrow. Which means I may do it in a few days' time, depending on how long this takes. Set back from the edge of a well-travelled road that passes near Stoneway Coppice is the Pavordian Alehouse, an establishment owned by the famed adventurer Palantis. The sizeable wooden stone structure, its tiered roof and elegant array of slate-covered pitches and angles, is an imposing building that nevertheless exudes a welcoming aura to anyone who approaches. At almost any hour, the flickering glow of a well-tended fire animates from the alehouse's many windows. Its unspoken promise of warmth and comfort, a beacon to a wary traveller, such as myself perhaps, enter the alehouse. The Pavordian, Pavordian spacious common room is always thronged with a slew of merry-making patrons, busily consuming the alehouse's delectable assortment of food and drink. The enticing aroma of Tetsuka, one of the alehouse's specialities, mingles with the supple, subtle scent of melon-infused paleo. There's two links here. Tetsuka. Tetsuka, also known as Edbrack in various locales, is a dish consisting of slightly charred wedges of bread, smothered by a mound of scrambled egg. Oh, that does sound tasty. And possible to make, even. Yeah. Now, if someone does make it, maybe they could show some pictures on the Swift Discord. That'd be nice. 
This delicacy, popular throughout the North Borderlands, is prepared and served in a variety of ways, with most preparers seeing fit to augment the simple recipe with their own ingredients. For a long spell, Tetsuga was considered a food synonymous with the lower stratum of society, who the discovery the fair is a favourite of Thane Porrent has helped erode the stigma. <laughs> Thane Porrent, he just keeps turning up, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, of course, he is the most powerful Thane in the kingdom. So, a lot of stuff's going to rotate around him. Alright, and Palo. I've read this a long before, but that was a long time ago. Palo is a common, popular hot drink throughout the North Broadlands. It's usually derived from the mark of the pe- bark of the paleo tree, a medium-sized, dark-skinned hardwood. The bark is boiled in water, and the resulting drink is dark, bold, and energy, and, and energizing. The paleo tree renews its bark annually. The bark is also a food that is prized by horntails. If you can imagine the flavour of a strong black coffee with a hint of roasted nuts, you would have captured the essence of paleo. Okay, what is a horntail? Of the many creatures that whelm the wilds of swift, few have inspired as many legends as the horntail. These large, bony-skinned reptiles grow to the size of large bears bears and are renowned for their voracious appetite and bad tempers. The largest of the species is, is, is the male, which can reach a length of 12 feet and can weigh as much as 2,000 pounds. It goes without saying that a 2,000 pound ill-tempered horntail would be a creature best avoided at all costs. Male, male horntails are called boars, and females are called sows. The horntail is so named for the black, razor-sharp horn of bone that protrudes from the end of its long, muscular tail. The creatures will use this tail as a whipping combat, combat and can strike enemies several feet away. It is best to avoid being hit by a lash of the tail. For the horn contains one of the most powerful venoms in all of, t- of Swift. I assume that was probably what I was while I was smuggling at it a long, long time ago. So fierce are these beasts when threatened or angry that tales abound of enraged horn tails driving wagons, dragons from their lairs, or chasing armed bands of forest trolls for miles. Horntails will absolutely not tolerate any living things entering their lairs, which are usually large caves. A grand fireplace serves as a hub around which a large number of folk have gathered. The propertyer, the illustrious adventurer Palantius, can sometimes be found wandering among the crowd, though it is not uncommon for him to be away for months at the time. Well, adventurers have got to adventure... Otherwise, they stop becoming, they stop being adventurers, and start being retired adventurers, which isn't nearly as much fun. Yes, or maybe they stop being adventurers entirely. The keeper, a young man named Frelmar, gazes over the busy room with a look of general disinterest. All right, quite a few options here. 
Let's speak with Frolman first. Frolman, the Pavorian's young but capable keeper, is a pleasant fellow who always seems prepared with a kind word or two for anyone seeking to bend his ear. Had a bolsterous lone lady about a while back, says Frolman, telling a story about a cave and a temple somewhere for somewhere way off to the east. Found it somewhat plausible, but who's to say? The alehouse keeper concludes by saying, has to be mindful not to believe every tale he hears. That's good advice for anyone, at any time, he says, as he bids you farewell and returns to his duty. Now, I'll talk again. Ah, yep, yep, this is randomised. Had a friendly mercenary stroll in here just here last winter, says Wilbur, with a story about a castle, a gem, and a mask far off to the west. I thought it sounded mostly credible, but who's to say? Yeah, that's yeah, and then it's yeah, it's the same. Okay, let's. What's the third third world? Third world. Had a quiet merchant about earlier today, says Wellman, turning a tall tale about a book, a caravan, and a cabin somewhere far off to the west. I believe it sounded somewhat exaggerated, but now, but how can I be certain? Okay. Let's have the food and drink now. The alehouse serves all manner of food and drink. Uteskuska, a melon-infused palo, dewdrop palo, remain its two most sought-after bits of fare. Alright, order Tetsukaga. The Tetsuga proves more than worthy of its reputation and leaves you feeling full and satisfied. Just when you're finishing your final bite of the sumptuous delicacy, a serving boy arrives at your table and sets down a steaming mug of dewdrop paleo. You manage to thank the boy before he scurries off to tend to other patrons. Alright, let's have the dewdrop paleo now. <laughs> the dewdrop paleo, served in a heavy rounded vessel, is a dark, rich, melon-infused brew. After allowing the beverage to cool, you take your time consuming it, <coughs> enjoying every sip as the paleo warms and fortifies you. Okay, now some regular paleo. The Podvorian Alehouse's standard paleo, which is among the strongest you've ever tasted, leaves a pleasant, almost sweet aftertaste lingering on your tongue as you slowly consume the contents of the steaming vessel. A sense of warmth spreads throughout your body. Right, now the day's stew. Presumably a day's past. Yeah. You know, so I'm not just getting... Otherwise, I'm just going to be totally full up. When you inquire about the contents of the day's stew, the serving girl washes off to fetch you a bowl and smirks and shakes her head. Moments later, the young server appears at your table and sets down a large wooden bowl filled to the whim with a steaming broth in which floats a variety of interesting bits. She then places a small plate of bread and cheese next to the stew before hurrying off to tend to the never-ending request of the Pavorian's demanding patronage. Despite its interesting appearance, the stew proves exceptionally delicious. And then... Ale. Of course I'm going to have ale. 
Ah, a serving boy arrives and answers your call and promptly rattles off an impressive list of the several views currently available in Pivorian. Alright, I'll have the copper bar kale. The copper bar kale is a delicious and frothy brew with a strong flavour that seems to hint at both pear and melon. While sipping your ale, you glance about the room and notice several other patrons are enjoying the same. Alright. Alright, now the next ale. Frothing Fury Ale. The Frothing Fury, true to its name, proves a difficult beverage to manage as it randomly and profusely spills a torrent of foam over the sides of your flagon. Despite its seemingly volatile nature, the ale is exceptionally rich and fortifying, leaving you completely satisfied by the time you drain the last drop from your vessel. Alright, ale number three, Dragon's Eye Ale. At first sip, the Dragon's Eye Ale seems little more than a thin, tasteless brew in possession of an interesting moniker. However, after downing nearly half your tankard, a warm feeling begins to slowly spread through your body as the faint aroma of paleo and the after-taste with mistent of honey fills your senses. Oh, I don't know how that works. Smoked Apple Ale. The Smoked Apple Ale, much as its name suggests, bears the almost underpowering aroma of baked apples and which flavour to match. The brew proves exceptionally strong and upon emptying your vessel, you feel slightly unsteady for several minutes. Suddenly, ooh. oh dear. Something's disturbing my ale. That can not do. A startling crash, mingled with the sharp sound of splintering wood, spins your head in the direction of the alehouse door. Tournaments now strewn across the common room floor. Framed in the doorway, its frightening bulk filling the entirety of the entry, is a fur-clad ogre. Ogre. I don't know how you pronounce that. Maybe I could find out. Oh, I just checked. It's Ogre. The fearsome, blood-brandishing beast, savaging, snarling savagely, stomps across the threshold where its thundering advance is met. Met by a brazen trio of armed patrons. Oh dear, oh dear. I th- now, they probably won't deal with it, because then there wouldn't be anything for me to do. Let's just see. With a guttural bellow, the ogre, its eyes flashing bright red, swipes out at the three souls foolhardy enough. After standing its path, landing a series of death bellows that sends would-be defenders sprawling to the floor. The crimson glow radiating from the creature's eyes rapidly intensifies as the ogre turns its dazzling gaze upon you. Grunting, its every footfall sending a tremor through the floor. The ogre plods in your direction as shrieking patrons dash and die for cover. Alright, I have a few options now. I could rush forward and engage the ogre with no finesse, or I could use something a bit more sophisticated. I could use the skill of archery, or telekinesis, or gating, or shadow magic, or elementalism. Mm-hmm. I'll give shadow magic a go. 
your use of shadow magic has succeeded. A chorus of faint whispers erupts in your head as you hurriedly channel your power of shadow magic. After, with startling swiftness, long bands of gloom shake out of the shadowy corners of the womb and entwine themselves around the ogre's thick legs. As the hulking creature struggles to free itself from the shadow's hold, you seize your momentarily advantage and rush forward to engage the entangled beast. Doing your best to avoid the savage swipes of its heavy club, you brazenly hold your ground against the entangled ogre. The creature's eyes flare with a fiery red glow. Oh, ooh. Is there some sort of magic going on here? Or is that it's just really angry? The ogre, it's entangled. I'm going to fight it. The ogre swipes at you with its heavy club. And I bash with my equally heavy mace. Your enemy smashes through your defences with a devastating blow. And really, I guess that's on me. If I can get hit, even if it can't move its legs, that's on me. Yes, keep going. Your enemy smashes through your defences with a devastating blow for 31 damage. Thirty down, and it is slain. 6 XP. Suddenly, the ogre's eyes flare bright red, and the fearsome beast leaps to its feet with a savage snarl. You adeptly leap forward and attack the hawking creature, making certain its attention is riveted, riveted on you. I mean, it could destroy the casks of ale! And that would be a disaster. You know, it could hurt people, but mainly the casks of ale. The ogre wizened fighting it now. You tremble with uncontrollable rage as you assail this foe. Get out of this tavern! I was having a lovely time eating lots of things and drinking lots of things and you ruined it! You ruined it, you stupid ogre! It swipes at you with its heavy club. Alright. And I go into battle rage again. Yeah! For the owl! <laughs> Keep slaying your foe. 7 XP. The ogre clashes, crashes to the floor, only to stagger back to its feet, its eyes blazing with an intense red light. With startling speed, the fiendish brute rushes at you, its heavy club poised to deal you a deadly blow. It's an ogre. And it is we risen once again. Alright, this is probably the last time, because rule of three and all that. The ogre swipes at you with its heavy club and smashes through my defence with a devastating blow for 31 damage. What's with all these devastating blows? Uh, maybe you sh maybe you should have entangled the arms, stupid shadows. Maybe you should have done that instead, you very stupid shadow. Oh, 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 so, sorry, Shadow. Sorry, Shadows. Don't do not do creepy, terrible, and unspeakably horrific things to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Shadows. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Swipes you with his heavy club and is slain. Is he going to stay slain? 7 XP. Your final blow seals the ogre's fate. The hulking menace slumps to a bloodied heap at your feet and expired as his heavy club clattered 
clatter, clattering slips from his lifeless grasp and clatters onto the floor. This time the beast is not wise. Cleanup of the gruesome scene begins almost immediately, with Felmar, the alehouse's young keeper, promising free food and ale to those who hope to dispose of the creature's carcass and tend to the spattered gore. I hope I didn't stay in anything that's difficult to clean. The attack by the ogre with the glowing eyes remains the dominant topic of conversation for several weeks following the frightening incident. In the days that follow, the owlhouse door, shattered by the club-wielding brute, is replaced by an even sturdier and more ornate iron-banded set of oaken planks. You find yourself repeatedly asked to recite the tale of your brief but brutal confrontation with the ogre. Through many, through many who witnessed the event seem, seem to relate their own version of the story. Most of which feature an interesting array of details you don't seem to recall. Like, it breathes fire. It was 12 feet tall. There were three of them. Well, well I wasn't on ogre three times. It's three ogres at once. Oh, yeah. Still, you can't help but wonder about the ogre's glowing eyes. What sort of devilry such an anomaly may portend? And that that's the end of this little scenario for 64 experience to general. Alright, I'll just heal up from that. Uh, okay, next bit is examine a portrait next to the fireplace. The portrait a masterful painting depicts an attractive young woman in blue finery, her hands folded on her lap and her face bearing a stoic expression. As you examine the striking piece of art, you can't help but notice that its subject's deep blue eyes seem to follow your every move. Hmm, curious. Alright, what? Alright. Alright, uh, yep, yep. Speak with Perlwam. Yep, had a friendly old woman come in last week. The story to do with a tower and a cloak somewhere off in the northwest. I believe it sounded somewhat credible, but who's to say? Yeah. Okay. Food and drink. Yep. What if I have more ale? Will something else attack? Probably not. Uh, Alright. It's coming so... I mean, Craw Ale in less than a minute. Yeah, my Zoop is drunk. Or would be if these incidents weren't days apart, somehow. Alright, examine the portrait. Alright. Please continue. Alright, examine the portrait again. Alright. Ooh, there we are. Third times the charm, suddenly. As you turn away from the portrait, your gaze is suddenly drawn to the face of its well-attired subject. Formerly stoic, the woman's countenance now bears a broad smirk. Examine the painting more closely. As you step closer to the portrait, your heart skips a beat when the woman in the painting suddenly blinks. Come over here. 
she whispers, her masterful lightness now fully amicable. Please, I don't want anyone else to see me or hear what I'm going to tell you. Speaking in hurried whispers, the woman in the painting relates to you a strange, meandering tale that seems to involve an unfortunate turn of events from long ago. She tells you, you know, that tells you that she became trapped in her current state of magic crafted by a significant other. A former bench was once served as her mentor went terribly awry. He sought my hand in marriage, the miserable fools who scoffs. But I would hear none of it. I only know now, having two centuries to consider everything, that he must have truly loved me. What a pity I knew so little of such things way back then. Suddenly, her expression changes to one of profound grief, and a tear streaks down her left cheek. All those years I've tried to move, to speak, to wink, to do anything that might snare someone's attention. But I could not, till I saw you, she says sniffly. There's something about that. Oh, never mind any of that. You have to help free me. There's something I need to do. Something that will that will, ne will never be right until it's done. The painted woman, her features rapidly fluctuating between lifelike and surreal as she turns her head inside the portrait, introduces herself as Griffia Longmarsh. When you give no concernable reaction to pronouncement of her name, she frowns. Being stuck in a painting for two centuries takes its toll on even the best of names, she softly says. Longmarsh Mame was once synonymous with some of the more venerable houses of Mount. Takes even the grey circle. Though I can plainly tell that's no longer the case. I didn't expect it would be so. Oh. I'd be flirting with Dorothy if I stayed and hold at least some small bit of hope. A bearded man shuffles past and casts a lifelong gasp glance at the portrait, but appears to take no notice of anything out of the ordinary. Simpletons, whispers Griffith as the man moves away. They're all simpletons. Not you, of course. No, certainly not you. So how about it? Are you going to help me? It's not just me you'll be helping, by the All-Father. If it was just me, I would even... Well, it's not... So not that much. Grefra, speaking softly and freezing in place any time someone passes too near, tells you that the wizard those magic trapped her in the painting was himself ensnared in a portrait when his casting somehow went away. Why? Should have listened to him, to anyone. For there were warnings all about, she says. Darker magics are to be left alone. What is plain to me now, now wasn't quite so plain those many years ago. Peering behind is always clear in the looking head, I suppose. Griffith tells you that her investigation into a particular form of forbidden magic is inversely set loose into the world. A powerful entity of shadow and molest. Krakenwook, Kladdenwook the Wise, was what everyone called the man I knew to be my mentor, she whispers, frowning. Considering all that happens, 
And not just the two, not just the two of us. I should have. Never mind. All of that's in the past. Now I can only look with hope to what lies ahead. A plated image momentarily freezes as a look of fear crosses her face. It wasn't easy figuring it all out, she whispers. But when you're not a complete dolt, when you have 200 weird years to spend dwelling on something, well, you'll be amazed what you can come up with. Now, listen carefully. As you listen with growing, you listen with growing interest as Githria tells you that the key to her escape from her painted prison is contained in seven flat grey stones, each bearing glyphs, glyphs resembling the insignia of Cladenbrook. You learn that a split second before he disappeared into the portrait, in which he presumably remains to this day, Cladenbrook summoned one last bit of magic in an effort to contain the malevolent entity. I saw his arm shook out, even as he was sucking, struck, suck into the paintings, he says. And I watched that creature of shadow take form and turn into the seven stones I just described. Good old Claddenwork, I suppose. Always a trick up his sleeve, as some might say. When you inquire about the glyph-marked stones, Kefalora's face falls as she sighs. And so we come to it. Okay, okay. Glyphard reveals that she believes Cladenbrook's last desperate act before he came imprisoned in his portrait was intended to do more than defeat the vile enemy. And you spent countless hours watching a master mage's gestures, learning to discern the subtle movements of the hand and fingers. It's not all that difficult to figure out what sort of magic is being channeled, she says. Certain, the very core of my being, that Cladenbrook infused those stones with one of his famous counterspells. One to undo the magic that put us in these forsaken paintings. She pauses and fixes you with a hardened gaze. It would seem that my, that is, our last hope to escape is to find these stones, she says. It goes without saying that I'll need your help to find them. Gnifaria tells you she does not know where to begin looking for the seven glyph-marked stones, though she's certain they are scattered throughout the kingdom. I have my reasons for believing that, she says softly. I still have contact with, shall we say, the no longer living, in a way. I don't know at all what they tell me is to be trusted. From the whispers I gathered, the glyphs are scattered across Tysa. Where precisely? I'm afraid I don't know. They're startled when Galefia abruptly reveals that she's ever released from the painting. She'll certain she'll, she'll no longer be protected by its preserving man magic and will almost certainly perish. I may drop dead the moment I freed, or maybe week, days, weeks, a year. It's of no real consequence, she says in a low voice. After all, I supposedly been dead for the last 200 years. There's something I'd like to do before the deepest shadows take me. Actually, there are things to which I'd very much like to attend. And I'd only need a moment or two to do it. I can still see them. Both of them. It's all so long overdue and quite sad. Alas, though, 
for it all hinges upon your luck at finding those stones and getting me out of here. Oh, how I've come to hate this painting. All paintings, for that matter. Another of the Pavordian's patrons walks by, glances at the painting, and nods as you can as you do before continuing to the far side of the room. Don't! Mutters Gelifer as he's gone. Can't possibly understand how torturous it is to sit here day after day and feast my eyes on this wabble. It's maddening. Even Glad Gladdenwalk's company is to be preferred. Gelifer abruptly asks if you will find and retrieve the seven stones bearing Gladdenwalk's glyph and free her from her portrait prison. Before you can respond, Gliffenwell's piercing blue eyes adopt a light bright greenish hue as icy fingers claw at the edge of your psyche. Uh, oh, oh dear. Uh, oh dear, this doesn't look good. For several unnerving moments, you find yourself frozen in place, your gaze transfixed by the unblinking stare of the portrait's prisoner. Suddenly, just before panic sets in, the glow fades from Griffinella's eyes and you're once again able to move. I wasn't certain that would work, given the trying nature of my circumstance, she whispers, but it seems to have done so. I believe it's called a death hex. Although I prefer to consider it added motivation for your impending heroics. I can dispel the hex I've placed on you, although not until I'm freed from this painting. You listen in shock and horror as Gifalia tells you <coughs> that the death hex you now bear will cause you to meet a grisly demise exactly one year from today. Unless it's removed, I now have a death hex in my inventory view. It's got an encumbrance of one, somehow. I don't know how it has an encumbrance of one. But it does. The death hex isn't something you can in any something you can in any way sense, but it remains ever present, waiting till the time has arrived for it to execute its dark function. It would be wise to seek out the means necessary for removing this deadly curse. We need not worry about that, she whispers. Because I know you are keenly inspired to find those glyphs help me out of my predicament or should I say you best be if you place any value at all on your own life sorry wasn't right for me to say that look you've you got a death curse on me yeah we're, we're well past apologies but I'm going to save you because I was gonna do that anyway and apparently other people there's other people involved too. At least one, two. I can still see them. Those, those two. No, there's at least a third person. Maybe four. It's a bit complicated, but anyway. Even if I didn't care about saving you anymore, because you know the whole death curse thing, I would still do it to save them. So why do you have to do the death curse? Look, you just make me less likely to do it out of principle. Alright. Anyway. Enraged by her cruel and underhanded tactics, your first instinct is to tear 
the portrait from the wall and hurl it into the fire. Though you manage to stay your hand. Instead, instead, you dangrily demand to know why she felt the need to resort to such dire measures. Gifflia frowns. The hex won't let you do anything that could indirectly endanger me. All the paintings, he says, is having discerned your original space. Now look, this isn't something I feel all that good about, but it's necessary. And besides, we're beyond any such considerations. You're stuck with the hex, and I need to be set free. Not, and not for my own sake. Either we satisfy that arrangement, or we both ruin what is to come. A fearful look suddenly passes over Gefelia's face as her painted features, which have become incredibly lifelike, begin to rapidly revert to their original state. Gefelia, her movement on the surface of the portrait now slow and rigid, speaks in a gravelly whisper. I'm sorry about the hex, she croaks. Find those stones, and all will be set right. Begin your search of the bubbling cauldron, by the falls, near Moonlight Lake. Purdy's there, somewhere. Be on your guard, though, and mind most of what you might hear. There are, after all, as they say, two sides to every story. With her voice, mom her voice momentarily phased out, so it strengthens just long enough for you to wish her luck and make a final gentle utterance. If you see Gadderock, whoever speak to him, tell him that I... With that, the portrait returns to its original state, but you are quite certain you will never be able to look at it in the same way again. Haunted by Gefelia's description of the death hex, she paced on you, your anger over the incident swiftly dissolved transforms into a firm resolve to rid yourself of the curse. Recalling what was told to you by the painting's imprisoned subject, you decide that your best course of action is to seek out Galadon Rook's seven stones and hope you can somehow use them to free Gephila. And that she'll keep her word and dispel the hex. With these thoughts churning in your mind, you step away from the portrait Prepare to embark on what you hope will not prove to be a fool's errand. The Seven Glyphs of Gladderwook. The seven glyphs, seven glyph marked stones you near to find are hidden in various places throughout the kingdom. Be sure to search far and wide. Stones could be anywhere, as mentioned by Grifalia. Your hunt should begin at the Bubbling Cauldron, near Fairy Falls in Moonlire Lake, region of west of Western Tosa. Alright, I'll be going there next. Anything happen with the portrait? Alright. Alright, a masterful painting depicts an attractive young woman in blue finery. Her hands folded on her lap. And, and her face bearing a stoic expression. As you examine the picture, you become aware that Grefelia's deep blue eyes are following your every move with what appears to be an accusatory glare. Yeah, yeah yes, yes, I, sh I, should, I shouldn't just be hanging out here. I've got people to save. 
Alright. So. The thing is, if I go to the bubbling cauldron, I'm going to look at all the things in the bubbling cauldron, and then I'm going to have the quest continue. Which will probably bring us quite over the hour mark. So, for now, I'm going to go to Hawklaw. I'm going to save the game here. And in the next episode, we'll go to the Bubbling Cauldron. And until then, farewell, fellow adventurers. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.